As you're making your way back to your seats, I, again, just want to welcome you here, uh, welcome you to, to church this morning. We're so glad that you're here and you're part of our worship service this morning. I think I'm on the wrong slide here. I got ahead of myself and I was on the last slide. Now, some of you may be saying, yeah, start there and let's finish early today. But uh, we got a few things we want to talk about before that. Um, one of the things, again, if you're newer, not to kind of harp on the, the first initial announcement about Kidsmen and other volunteering, but one of the things we really try to be is transparent about everything. Our website has all kinds of information on there. Church Center, of course, has all the, the different, you know, anything you might want to know about our church is on there. Um, budget, all those kind of things. And our vision of who we want to be, we want to be a f- church family that, that preaches God's word, that, that worships, um, that, that points families and helps families towards healthy relationships with God. Uh, and, and then we want to come by and, and support what you're doing with your own children in our kids' ministry. Uh, so we want them to hear the gospel every week, but we are hoping and assuming that you're talking about that at home. We try to send home sheets with the kids that then you could look at and talk about throughout the week. So again, we don't want to do all the teaching for your children. We want to help you guys uh, in what you're doing to help your children grow into the young men and women that will shape the world around us, the community, our schools, uh, athletic teams, whatever it might be. And so we're here for you in a lot of ways. And that's why when we ask for volunteers, we want people who are on board with our vision. And, and so maybe we don't from the stage speak quite enough about the specifics of our vision, but the website church center would be a place you could definitely look into that. Or Pastor Dave or I would be more than welcome uh, either to talk with you here, talk with you after church, uh, grab a cup of coffee sometime, uh, and talk about that in our vision. Uh, Because we do believe that we are in a unique place here in DuPont with the high military community and an opportunity to love on people. My wife and I have lived here for now 23 plus years. Uh, All of our children, all four of them started here in kindergarten and graduated from still High School. We love this community. And I know you guys are here, a lot of you for work, and this is becoming your home. Uh, and you know, though, off in the future, you may be moving on. Uh, and, and yet we want to provide a place where you can find growth and health. And so that's kind of where we were going this morning with our, with our announcement, uh, just that opportunity and that need. Uh, and we want you to be able to see our heart. Because sometimes seeing is what we need. And today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about vision. And, and the funny thing is, I had perfect eyesight until I was like 38, 39. Oh, a lot of doctors and people will say 40 is when your eyesight starts changing. But I was a manager with Costco Wholesale. How many of you like to shop at Costco? Okay. You know how they have the steel there, right? And you got the A, a steel, the top steel, B and C. I used to, as a manager, I used to be able to walk around and read the little pallet tags. Like I could read what was on there. My eyes were really, really good. I felt great. And then all of a sudden, about 38, my vision just started tanking. And, and I don't know if some of you, a lot of you are younger, so you're not there yet. So I think that there's only a few people probably my age or older, and, and they could tell you, yeah, this happens. Like your eyesight changes. You don't see as well as you used to. You got to have glasses for distance, and then you got to have glasses, glasses for reading. And then I got to the place where I needed a glasses for like my middle vision, which is like the computer. So I tried the trifocal. 
And that was a disaster. I couldn't see anything. I was in the wrong vision line all the time. And, and so then I went back to three different pair of glasses. If it was normal vision, I had one on. If I needed to read, it was a different pair. Then I had some for my computer. Well, I, I kept losing glasses. That doesn't work either. So now I'm back to, I got bifocals. And then, so my reading and my distance, that's what I mostly need. But when I sit down, like to preach, I got to put these on. I can't see you guys. So it may look like I'm looking at you. I might as well be doing this because I can only see a few people. You smile big enough, I can see the smile, okay? I can see smiles. But it's tough, right? Vision is really, really tough. My eyes just kept getting worse and worse. Now, my kids started making fun of me. Because I'm like, we're at a restaurant and I can't read. Back when I had the three different glasses, I forget my, I literally can't read the menu. I'm like, can you, or I look for the pictures, right? They got like eight things pictured. I'm ordering one of those because that's about what I can see. And they would make fun of me. And, and our eyes, just as we get older, they get worse and worse typically, right? Okay. So we're, we're throwing that kind of out there and see where I'm going to try to change this. But as we age and mature as believers, our spiritual eyesight should be getting better and better. And that's what we're going to see here today. Uh, in, in chapter 16 of first Samuel, we're going to see the idea of using gospel lenses or God's eyes and seeing the world around us, seeing other people, by using God's eyes. And so if you're new or newer to the Grace Works, today's your first Sunday. We're going through first and second Samuel, and we're in chapter 16. Uh, and I know that sounds like quite a ways into the book, but if you're new or newer and you haven't gone back and read, maybe this week you could read to catch up. If you're like, hey, they were all right, maybe we'll go back and check them out again. It's not that long, and it'll kind of set the stage. We're getting a little too far now to go back and recap everything. Um, and so if you're newer and you want to kind of know where we're at in the book, you know, that would be good. Now we're, we're, we're just getting introduced to David, which a lot of people of course know about David, King David. And, and so that's kind of where we are now here in Samuel. Uh, and that's where we're going to dive in today. We've titled this entire series lessons from leaders. We've learned from, uh, King Saul, and we all know that King Saul wasn't a great king and you kind of get to that really bad rep and a lot of it's deserved, but he actually had a couple good things too. And so we highlighted those because I believe that no matter who you're looking at as a leader, you can learn good things and you can learn bad things. You can learn how to, to, uh, lead, whether it's your family or at work or in your community, uh, in a God honoring way through the mistakes that other leaders make and also through their successes. So that's what we've been looking for. And we're going to continue to look for as we go through first and second Samuel. And and so today we want to keep our eyes open for lessons from leaders that we can learn and then how to move forward. And I'm going to challenge you today to become a people who see with God's eyes. And so this week we only have 23 verses. If you've been with us over the last month, we've had some long sections. Uh, my daughter came up and read one week cause it was like 54 verses. And I knew if I read those verses, I would just be exhausted and wouldn't have anything left. So my daughter came up and read, I mean, we've been trying to go through this in a creative way. It's a lot of verses this week, very manageable. It's only 23. And I think that there's some really good nuggets that you and I can pick up on, grab a hold of and apply to our lives. So let's dive right in to chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. 
Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now let's pause there really quick. When we last left off, Saul had disobeyed the Lord, right? He had, he had disobeyed the Lord. The Lord had given him a commandment and he said, I don't need to do everything that God asked me to do or commanded me to do, right? He denied that he disobeyed. Then he doubled down. And then finally in the end, he did confess. Like it was a long, there was a lot of interaction, long uh, story of, of Samuel going to him and talking to him. Um, Sadly, this wasn't the first time, though. Saul's had problems obeying the Lord. And God had decided enough's enough and and told Saul through Samuel that, hey, you're disqualified from kingship. So Saul knew this. So he was sitting on the throne knowing that he was going to be replaced. Now, that can't be a great place for a leader, right? Here's Saul, the king of Israel, and God has said, I'm done with you. You're you're no longer going to be king. And so now he's kind of like every day he goes to work probably and is like, is it today, right? I mean, what's going on here? And so um, that was tough. But for Samuel, we see in these verses, it was difficult on him. Samuel was a great prophet and priest for Israel. He led well. We learned a lot from Samuel and his life. And he was the one who, even though it wasn't God's original plan for Israel to have a king, he was very involved with the process of bringing Saul on. And he had probably hoped and dreamed that Saul would turn out to be a God-honoring man of God that could lead Israel, right? I mean, that's what he had probably hoped and prayed for. And, And God here says to him, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him for being king over Israel. And and again, Samuel and Saul had probably spent a lot of time together and, and Samuel was grieving this result, even though he knew that Saul had not lived up to his calling. So Samuel was probably a little bit of that, that depressive funk that sometimes we get into where it's kind of hard to move forward, right? We know the truths of God. We, we know God loves us. We love God and, and we want to move forward, but sometimes it's just a little bit tough and, and we just, sometimes we get bummed out. Like it, it's tough to move forward and, and God had to get Samuel's attention. It's time to move forward, right? There's still work to do. So remember what you did with Saul? You, you, you put the oil uh, and, and, and into your, your horn and you went and you anointed him. It's time to fill your horn again. There is work for you to do, Samuel. And, and I've already chosen the new king. He's in Bethlehem, right? He's going to be from the house of Jesse, one of his sons. So God's given him all this great information. And, and the last sentence may seem benign, but it actually holds the key word to our study today. And that key word is see, okay? Ra'ah is literally translated to see. And it's going to be used today seven times in this chapter. So if you're taking notes and you want to write that down, that idea of to see or see, um, it's used in chapter one, which we see here. It's used in, or at verse one, I should say, verse six. In verse seven, it's used three times. And then in verses 17 and 18. So one, six, seven, three times, 17 and 18. God sees things differently. God's vision is perfect. God wants us as followers to see the world around us. Whether it's our spouse, our kids, our best friends, our community, our job, the world itself through his eyes. 
God is, is all seeing and all knowing and perfect. And he gives us a lot of pointers as to how we can look at the world in a different and better way. And so that's what we want to do. We want to see with God's eyes. Moving on to verse two. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel responds to God's call to go and initiate this change that's going to take place in Israel, right? So Samuel's like, okay, I'm going to go, but... Now, a lot of times I don't like to hear, but right when I'm, when I'm talking to my kids, they start giving me the reason that they did something or the way they feel about something. And then they say, but, and then I'm like, Whoa, let's slow down here. Right. But here, this, this is actually a pretty valid question. The more I looked at this this week, I was like, if I was Samuel, I I might've said the same thing, right? How can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. Saul's been rejected. Saul and Samuel were probably friends at one point. Uh, they worked well together. Saul kept failing. Samuel had to bring the word saying, you're done. God has said, you're done. It's over. And now Samuel fears for his life, right? He says, well, wait a second. What if he hears about what I'm about to do? He might try to kill me. Now we'll see that godly people will sometimes allow the things of the world or the possibility of an outcome of a situation to affect our willingness to do what God has called us to do. Okay, I won't ask for hands on this, but think about your life. Are there things that you have not done that you know you should have done? Are there things that you have not said that you know you should have said because you were afraid of the way the world would see you, look at you, respond to you, right? Maybe even shut you down. That is a temptation that was happening back then. It happens today. Right? We know what we have been called to do. Now, in this case, Samuel's afraid for his life. He says, Saul will kill me. Right? If I go and I anoint a new king, Saul's not going to be very happy. He could try to kill me and, and prolong or extend his stay as king. Right? And the anointing of a new king, when the king was sitting on the throne... In Saul's eyes, at least, if not even others in government, I mean, it would amount to treason. Okay, so what Samuel was being called to do, this was a, a serious thing. You, you cannot replace a sitting king, right, and not have some people think, what in the world is this guy doing? Maybe we need to get rid of this guy. So look what the Lord does in response to Samuel's concern. He assigns him another task to veil the first task that's assigned to him, right? He says, take a heifer, right? Take this heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for him or for me, him who I declare to you. So God's eyes see the need and the opportunity, right? To find the new King. It's time. Saul needs to go. So God calls Samuel to obey, and in light of Samuel's concerns, and I think kind of justified, right? Every once in a while, uh, a butt might, might, might be something that we need to consider. Here, God says, I'm going to take care of you. Now, I guess Samuel could have showed a little more trust and faith in God, right? But sometimes I think we do. We, we ask God, okay, wait a second here. I, I, I think I'm hearing you right, but, 
right? And I think God is patient with us. And here, Samuel, a man of God who's getting older, who's led well, says, hey, wait, I'm a little bit nervous about my life, okay? So sometimes even we don't fully see or trust in God's uh, total protection. And, and, and here God says, okay, then let's do this, and, and I am going to take care of you. So by giving him this double task in case the first one of course would have drawn undue attention he he says let's do it this way bring this calf and and we'll have a sacrifice up there do you one of the questions i had for you this morning do you have the eyes to see what god sees when you consider a truth from scripture and you know what you should do or say do your eyes see it the same way that God does. Do we always see God as not only the provider of the information and the truths that we are trying to live in and own, but do we see him as our protector? And, and, and that no matter what comes at me, even if it is pain, uh, you know, even leading all the way to death, are we willing to trust our savior? So do you have eyes that see what God sees? And do you question the things that you're called to do because you're afraid of a worldly consequence? And again, I don't think that it's wrong per se in our growth to have those questions, but we always have to come back to the truths of scripture, right? And so there are going to be times where I'm going to be like, okay, Lord, am I hearing you right? Right. And then, and then allow him to speak into my life through mentors, through God's word, through prayer, etc., etc. So worldly consequence, is that directing the way that you live, what the world might do or the world might think, or are you moving forward in the spirit? Those are questions that I think we can all be thinking about, not only today, but moving forward into this week. I think we could all do a little bit better of moving forward into full obedience. And really, that's what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Why was it so hard for Saul to obey God? God's literally telling him word for word what you need to do, and he's not doing it. He's not trusting him. So let's see how Samuel responds to the Lord's call or his command here. And we're picking up in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, I think this is a beautiful thing. He has a conversation with God. God talks to him, tells him, hey, I got this. You can do this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm for you. I'm ahead of you. And, and we see that Samuel obeys God even in the face of fear. That's who I want to become. Right? I want to become a man of God that will obey God in the face of fear. Whatever it might be. Whatever the world is threatening to throw at me or do to me. I want to obey God and not consider any other way out. Right? That's where I want to grow. That's where I, I want my uh, trajectory to be. He believes God and does what he's called to do. And, and Samuel knows these truths. He hears God and he believes him. And he responds because of that. He says to the elders with the directive, consecrate yourselves, get ready, and come to this sacrifice. Samuel had fears, right? And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, did he have every right to be afraid? I mean, because the world would say, by doing this, you're going to put yourself in a place of trouble, right? Even though he may have, and he did, I should say, he did question God or ask God 
you know, are you sure you want me to do this? This could be the end of me. He hears God, he trusts God, and he obeys God in a difficult situation. Have you personally, this is something I thought we'd throw on our community group questions for this week. Have you personally been able to respond to a fearful or difficult situation in your life because of your faith in God and his promises? Do you have examples in your life that you can share either with your family or with your community group of, of times where you know what God has called you to do and you could see that the result could end up being bad for you and yet you move forward in? Because I'm telling you, as I was praying over this passage this week and thinking about it, a lot of things popped into my mind. Some of them were things from my own personal life. Some of them were from uh, experiences that I've had in counsel with people who are in our church or even outside of our church when I have the opportunity to counsel people. And, and I was thinking about, you know, just different situations in my marriage and, and with my children and, and these different things that have come up where I've had decisions to make. I thought of times when I've counseled on purity and how the world would say something is okay and yet God's word would say something different and 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 how are we going to move forward in that it doesn't matter what the situation is what the situation you're in now or maybe how you've responded to this same type of situation in the past no matter how difficult it might be no matter how difficult it appears and it's right there in front of you and you see it we are called to obey Can we move forward in obedience? And I think that's what we're seeing here from Samuel. Picking up in verse 6 here. When they came, he looked at Eliab um, and thought, surely the the Lord's anointed is before him. So this is Samuel looking at the sons of Jesse here, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And and Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen chosen this one. So although the sacrifice was important, this was what Samuel was waiting for, right? To catch a glimpse of this invited family, of Jesse's family. So the first son, Eliab, was perfect. Look at the way he is described here, right? He's the oldest, right? And and the author here speaks of his height and his appearance. So we could assume this guy is probably tall, dark, and handsome, right? This guy is ready to be king. He's ready to lead. But God wastes no time speaking out. This is, this is not him, God says, right? He says, don't look on the appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Again, rejected. Uh, we've learned from other studies. It just means not chosen, right? This guy's not the guy. This isn't the one that I've chosen. So it's not like Samuel looked at him and said, man, this guy could be good. And, and God's like, how did you miss all these things? That's not him. No, it's just, this is not the one I've chosen, Samuel. And I want you to know that. So he says, I've rejected this one because God's eyes see the heart, So Abinadab, the second son, comes by. Same result. Shammah 
the same result, right? So we're through three of them. And, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. It says in verse 10. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, uh, there remains the yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And, and Samuel says to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes. Right? So none of these either one at a time. And God's speaking to Samuel crystal clear. This isn't like, okay, wait a second. No, 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 no rejected. This is not the one. This is not the one that I have chosen for this task. Now, Samuel responds the right way, tells him what God is saying. But in his mind, was he saying, did I hear God wrongly? Is this not the family, right, uh, that I'm supposed to have summoned? Jesse brings his sons, right? And according to Samuel said, bring all your sons. So the sons go by and he's like, ah, it's none of these guys. So what does he say? Are all your sons here? Like, I've asked you to bring. God wanted all of your sons here. I've asked you to bring them before me. They've gone before me. It's not any of them. Did you not bring all of your sons? So there may have been some confusion, some frustration. What's going on here? Did I miss something? Maybe Samuel's saying. But look at Jesse's answer. I think it reveals his heart. And if we're honest with ourselves, our hearts sometimes too, right? He pre-selected, he, Jesse, pre-selected that his youngest son could not be the one, could not be the one. How guilty are we of that sometimes? Not necessarily with our youngest not being the one, but making decisions based on what we see in people, right? We see the outward appearance. We see the way that they act, the way that they respond to things, the way that they Maybe the way that they look or dress or keep themselves. Things that are not necessarily telltale signs of who's inside. So he pre-selected that his youngest couldn't be the one. And he doesn't even bring him before Samuel. Samuel had said, bring all your sons. He brings seven of them. The problem is, he had eight. Right? He knew that his best, right? The best in the family was representing today in front of Samuel. And yet God said, no, God had other plans. We need to become a people that see like God sees, right? We need to see like God sees. We need to look on the inside. We need to understand that there's more than just outward appearance. We need to be open to what God has in mind for you and I, for us through a beat obedience and not just what we think should be the answer or the way, right? We need, to, we need to think about what God has called us to do. God sees perfectly, not only the exterior, but also inside. He has the perfect vision. He's able to make perfect judgments. You see, when God looks on the inside, he sees the man, the potential, the willingness to submit and to follow. And that's what's most important to God. Right? Not the height, not the look, not the, you know, the, the muscles, right? I mean, this is, this is not what God is looking for. God is looking for the right man to do this job. And a lot of times in our lives, we'll sometimes discount somebody because we don't think they're the right person. And yet God might have something big planned for them. 
And so we need to allow Holy Spirit to lead us, to direct us. We need to pray for people, not making judgments. Jesse made a judgment. I don't need to bring my youngest son. I got these other seven. They're ready to go. I don't need to bring the little one. He can stay out with the sheep. Jesse says, hey, I got one more. He's out in the field, right? And, and, and we don't know why Jesse didn't see David as a fit for this. We don't know for sure. But we do know that David's the smallest. He's the youngest. Those are the words that are kind of used there. Um, and so Jesse, he was, he was like, hey, I brought my best. I brought what, you know, God should want is one of these sons, the viable options. Uh, and yet Samuel says to him, hey, send for and get your other son. Get David, for we will not even sit down until he comes. Picking up in 12. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy. And, and uh, had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Jesse sends for David. And, and, and when he gets there, God doesn't waste any time. He says, yep, this is him, right? This is he. This is the one who I have called you, Samuel, to anoint with oil, to anoint as the next king. And the Holy Spirit rushed upon David from that day forward. Amazing, right? This is an incredible story. And if you want to know what true beauty, strength, and giftedness is, look at someone like that has the spirit of the Lord living through them. Don't look at their exterior. Don't think this is the guy or this is the gal that could do the job because this is what I'm seeing on the outside. Look for the one that's moving forward in the Lord, right? Look for that person who loves God more than anything, who's devoted to their walk, who loves the gospel and wants to share it with others no matter what the cost. That is a beautiful person. Right? And that's what the Lord sees here. He sees the inside. He knows who David could be. Right? Now, it, it does seem strange that David's appearance is described since in this, the, the whole thrust of this text is don't look at the exterior of the person. Right? Don't look at the exterior. And, and yet we see here this definition, right? The heart is important to God, but the words that are used here do speak of what David looked like. And so the word ruddy could mean bronzed or tanned or red hair. So, and and maybe both, we don't know for sure. We just know what the word meant back then. We know that, but he also has beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And so we do see a description of him. And yet we know that God's desire was to find the right heart to be the king over his people. Looks and the spirit of God is what we see here in David, right? This, this guy's got a lot. He's got it all maybe going, right? He's the double threat. He's a good looking man and he's got the spirit of the Lord in him and, and the Holy Spirit rush upon him here. And if we're honest, man, this is the kind of people I want to surround myself with, right? I mean, think about this. Isn't this the kind of people you want to sit down with and have conversations with and, and learn from? This is the kind of person I want to be someday. Maybe not the handsome part. That's fine. But I want to be, I want to have the beauty of being a person who's chasing after the Lord, right? That, that, that is, is so concerned with my growth in becoming the man that God wants me to be. And then moving forward in humility, knowing that everything that I am came from God. 
right? And then I want to focus in on the gospel and the things that we can do for the kingdom, right? And that's the kind of man here that I think David was. Inner beauty to go along with his outer beauty, right? If you can have it both, you might as well. But he had the inner beauty and that's what God wanted. David has, has uh, God's anointing and his spirit, which makes this next verse quite poignant. There's a turn in the story here where we're going to finish up today. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So there's a change in scenery here. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a young man who can play well and bring him to me. So a change in scene here. Saul's anointing has been taken away. God had declared through Samuel that he was disqualified. For the ministry of being king of Israel. And now we see that the spirit, the spirit for the ministry, okay? I want to be clear. The spirit that directed David and rushed upon him and moved him towards kinghood has been removed from Saul. This spirit has departed from Saul. Not only that, but a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And and how interesting is it that Saul's men are the one who see this? They see it happening, right? See as God sees, right? They see that he's being tormented. They correctly identify what's going on. Now, to be honest, I've heard this story. I've, I studied it back in Bible college. I, I've kind of been like a little bit, I, we preached through this a few years ago. So I kind of remember struggling through this and, and kind of seeing it with a different eye even back then when we preached through it about nine or 10 years ago. Um, but it seems a little bit off-putting. Like, what's going on here? What is the Lord doing to this man, this man who continued in sin? Let's remember that. But let's consider the facts. Samuel fears that Saul is going to kill him if he, if, he, uh, if he anoints this new king. Right? He's fearing for his life. Now, this is awful. And, and Saul has really gotten a long ways from God through his disobedience. Had he gotten far enough that he might kill Samuel? God's anointed, right, to be the the one who's the priest and and the leader still in his old age? It, It seems so. At least Samuel's afraid of that. But more importantly, Saul knows God's will in this situation. He is no longer king. So even though he's struggling in obedience, we think that Saul still was understanding in what God Uh, was saying, and he believed it. He's gotten so accustomed, though, to the power and the privilege that come along with being a king that he refuses to step down. When he was told you will no longer be king, if he had been fully repentant, like we talked about last week, he would have stepped down and excused himself, but he didn't. He doubled down and said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this as long as I can. He's so far outside of God's will God's desire, it it just isn't funny, right? What would a man after God's heart do when he's caught in sin? That was a question I thought about this week. If you're a man of God or a woman of God and you're following after the Lord, 
and, and Holy Spirit convicts you of something you're doing wrong, or, or better yet, a, a, maybe a friend sees that, that you've invited to speak in your life and comes to you and says, hey, I'm really concerned about you. This is what I'm seeing. Right? When you're caught in sin, what should our response be as mature or maturing Christians? It should be repentance. It should be, hey, I messed up. Saul should have said, hey, I've screwed up so far uh, beyond coming back. The Lord has told me that I need to get out of the way for what God is going to do. But he doesn't do that, right? A man of God would fully repent. And what we've seen from Saul continually over and over is this partial obedience instead of complete obedience. And he wasn't going to give up the throne for God's next anointed one. Now, the Lord sends this spirit to torment Saul, right? And and he was locked into this unrepentant and boldly selfish place in his life. I'm not giving up the throne. I'm going to stay here as long as I can. And and we'll see as we continue to study 1 Samuel that he he is not a man after God's own heart. But rather, he's willing to use uh, anything he can, violence even, to circumvent God's plan. We're going to see that in these next few weeks. Saul's men have a plan to comfort him, soothe him through music. We see that at the end. Now, I totally get that. I'm not a musician. I love to sing. That's why I stand up front when I sing. So that way, the only people that have to hear me are the few that are up on stage, right? I, I love to worship God. I love to sing in my car with the windows up. My wife will tell you I'll sing in the shower. I, I, I'm hoping and assuming nobody in my house can hear me. I don't have a great voice, but I love music. Right? If, if, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have a tough time getting back to sleep, I'll pop in an earbud and put on some worship music. I love music. I can appreciate music. And that is, right, what, what the, his men think that Saul could benefit from here. So let's, let's go ahead and read starting in chapter 18. One of the young men answered, now isn't this crazy? Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. What a description, right? Therefore, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. And became his armor bearer. Now this happened after David was anointed to be the next king. Talk about crazy. Talk about God in, in protection, right? Over David's life. And, and this is, this is, it's, it is crazy. I, I, and, and really we talked about David and his heart for God, right? His, 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 uh, his spirit seeking the Lord. We talked about his looks and now we find out that he's also a musician. I mean, this guy just keeps getting better and better, right? And, and the description of him is, is one of those ones where we can see why he was a popular king in Israel. And why God saw him as a man worthy of taking Saul's place. We're going to continue on here in verse 22. This is the end of this section here. So Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service. 
So David had come and he was singing for Saul and he had become his armor bearer. For he has found favor in my sight, says Saul to Jesse. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now, this is a beautiful twist, right? Here in this story, God moves his man into the right place, right? God directs this, right? Even wicked Saul couldn't help but admire and even love David, his, his future replacement. Although man cannot see the heart like God sees the heart, there is something different about a man or a woman who has been marked and shaped by the spirit of God. Isn't that who you want to become? A man or a woman who has been marked by the spirit of God? There's something so beautiful about that. If you, if you have the opportunity to, to be around people who love God and their, their, their entire being is moving forward in the gospel and working towards kingdom work, those are the kind of people that are just a joy to be around. And so many of you sitting out there that I know are those kind of people. And we need to see people with God's eyes. We need to learn from those people. We need to become men and women who are more uh, interested on what's going on inside of a person and who they want to be and what's important to them than what they look like or maybe what they're able to do or accomplish. Help us to become that kind of a people. That's my prayer for you and I today.